Good evening and welcome to Italian Impact Weekly. I'm your co-host Steve Stefano Mancini. And I'm Claudio Ralsano. Thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate it. Steve, what's going on? I, I got to do something like you say Mancini. <laughs> I got to say something with mine, you know? Re il sono. Re il sono. You gotta, yeah, you got to throw some pizzazz in there. And as yeah. always, it's we want to... pizzazz enough. You know? <laughs> I don't have to add more to That's it. it. You just say, I'm cloudy. I'll be like, all right, got it. We're done. We're good here. That's yeah. it. I don't have that kind of special like, touch. Like Pele. <laughs> That's right. One word. Um, and always one thing, Joe Hale, or as we like to call him as our honorary Italian, Giuseppe. He's even got the hand, look, he's got the hand motions down and everything. Joe, again, thank you very much for all the work. <laughs> I want to give a shout out to Robert Morris University. They have been very kind and gracious to allow us to uh, record out of their studios. I am going to give them a free plug. RMU is actually a very good school. Um, yours truly has been teaching here for about five years now. I've recently begun a full-time stint here, and the reason I and I've taught at other universities in the Pittsburgh area, including uh, the University of Pittsburgh. And um, I am telling you this, having been uh, an adjunct professor for about ten years now, that uh, I really like RMU. And I do encourage folks to take a hard look at RMU when you're thinking about what you want to do next. Again, their academic uh, media center is absolutely fantastic. In fact, I'm going to be honest, when I, when I first came in here, I was kind of surprised everything you guys had going on. Um, but it's actually a very good place. And we're going to talk more about that because our guest is the former director of that. So we're going to get that into the second. Um, but Claudio, real quick, I want to circle back with you. Uh, and I think I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this because we were both kind of texting each other this week and we were busy but uh how's your weekend i mean your baseball's off and running now right our first uh, practice is saturday at carnegie mellon i'm going into my 19th year congratulations thank you thank you I not getting fired after like five seasons well i was hoping it's a big deal in coaching i was hoping i'd get at least five years but 19 i'm, I'm very grateful I, I love it there and I have a great group coming back so we're excited about that and um, you and I attended an event uh, Thursday, the Ryan Shazier Steeler uh, watch party. And it was nice to see a bunch of people. That was fun. And, um, yeah, so everything's good. Now, I tell you what, I will say one thing about him. Um, I've never met him before in my life. And so when I walked up to him and I was like, hey, Ryan, I just want to shake your hand. You know, like I'm not one of these guys that wants to go up to an athlete and go, oh, man, what's up? Like, like as if you're their best friend. Like you, you don't know them, they don't know you. So don't act that way. But you can see the people that do that. Well, when you meet someone like him, you know, he's a guy that's really bounced back from something catastrophic. Sure, sure. He was so nice. Oh, yeah. He was so great. I was like, wow, man, this guy was really approachable. And and I was with a couple of colleagues of mine, and the one girl, she was like super shy. She's like, I don't want to go up. I'm, I don't know how to. I said, come here. And I'm not necessarily, believe it or not, I am not that much of an extrovert. So I said, come here, come with me. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, Ryan, can you do me a favor? She's just a little shy. You take a picture with him. He's like, yeah, sure. And he was like all smiling, took a nice yeah, picture. So I want to give him a shout out because, you know, you've been around. And we all know not every athlete is that nice and approachable. So I, I, I wanted to say, you know, publicly I wanted to thank him for being that approachable. Um, and I did uh, you know, said hello to a few other guys. But like I said, I'm the kind of guy who just goes up and says, hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. Shake your hand. You know, congrats. People were coming up to me. I was working the room of what I was told. <laughs> That's what I was told. And I wasn't, in, I wasn't in the greatest of moods, but it was a nice event. It was a nice event. Claudio in a bad mood? I, I'm not buying it, buddy. I'm not buying it. No, that was good. But uh, you know what? But like I said, I was, I was kind of, you know, the RMU thing was kind of uh, impromptu because we've been doing this for eight, almost eight months now. Yeah. And we That's actually, crazy, yeah. you know, here's a little secret for the folks listening. If you call the station right now, we won't be there. I know. Yeah. I just blew it. I just blew it. But we've been working at RMU for about seven of those eight months. And, um, you know, it's just been fantastic to support. You know, Joe, again, appreciate everything you're doing. 
appreciate the fact that this is a top-notch studio and to come in here you know and get professional engineering editing um, support uh, you know it's a shout out to them and uh, with that being said I do want to introduce our guest now because he is the former director of the Academic Media Center and um, he is also an award-winning producer director he's directed several documentaries which we are going to talk about in depth because uh, in fact Joe our engineer has worked with him on some stuff so he's been around this guy is is no kidding a professional I was reading his bio looked at some of the, the documentaries fantastic work um, so it is kind of my honor to introduce Michael Delaro Michael how are you doing I'm doing good this afternoon thank you oh fantastic again as always I say this to everybody but we do mean it um, we appreciate you taking time out of your schedule I know you've got a lot going on I've heard you think you're retired but you know I could sense you're like me you're when you're in cloud it's probably gonna be the same way we're never going to retire. We're going to be 90 something years old, still out there fiddling with something. So again, thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule. And uh, let's kind of begin. Uh, you, like us, have a very strong passion for the Italian community. Now, obviously, you feel that way because of your ancestry and your family. So let's kind of talk about you. Let's kick it off. Tell me about you, your background, and your family a little bit. Okay. Um, me, my background, and family. I grew up in an Italian enclave on the west side of Cleveland. Uh, St. Rocco's um, Parish. Uh, all four of my grandparents are from the same town in southern Italy, in Puglia. They're from the same town. Uh, they were maid of honor and best man at, at each other's weddings. Um, so it was pretty tight. So, you know, growing up in that enclave and uh, as a uh, uh, young man, we moved out to the suburbs of the western, uh, western suburbs of Cleveland. And um, and uh, you know, experience that um, uh, uh, that land of America that I was not uh, you know born into. Uh, you know, everything was strange. Uh, not everybody had vowels on the end of their last name, so we had to assimilate into that culture. But it actually, it, you know, it turned out well, and it afforded me and my brothers and sisters to all go to college and and um, you know do well you know with ed education. And taking advantage of all those opportunities you know from as many of us from the sunday afternoon dinners with grandparents and aunts and uncles and aunts and uncles living you know within um, a, a door stoop from each other and you know cousins uh, you know playing together uh, and being friends you know, as well as cousins was uh, a, a delightful experience for me but it was also the foundation for a lot of my um, engagement uh, with Italian-American culture, Italian-American identity, and uh, myself as a, um, as a filmmaker uh, in do making and producing stories about uh, all those sorts of experiences with my family and uh, stories about my family and stories about the Italian-American experience. Now, well, your your grandparents were born in Italy. Was your uh, was your mom and dad born in the states? Yes, my mother was born in Cleveland, Ohio. My father was born in Canton, Ohio. Uh, my grandfather is an interesting story. My grandfather Nunzio Delaro came over in 1922, and um, my great aunt Chiara Delaro um, wanted to come to America, and her husband her and her husband uh, Petito uh, would always send her money. Uh, to come to America, but their son, who lived in Italy, always absconded with the money, and uh, and uh, you know did you know nefarious things with with that money, and um, she never was able to come until she met up with her 
her uh, nephew, my grandfather, Nunzio, and said, Nunzio, I need to go to America, but I don't want to go alone. I don't have any money, but we can sell, we can sell my chooch, my asino, my jackass. <laughs> and uh, they sold their, 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 their asino, and that was their passage here to America. So throughout our house, not throughout, but we have a little display of little, little, um, little, little donkeys in our house to remind us of where we came from and how we got here. Very good. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you a question about that. But one more time, you said they were from southern Italy. Italy. That's where my family's from. We're from Calabria. My dad was from Falerno, and my mom was from Nogera Terinea. So where was your family from in southern Italy? Okay, all, all four of my grandparents were from Puglia near um, uh, Provincia de Foggia on the Adriatic near okay. Bari. Okay. okay. You know, near, cl close to Calabria. In fact, yeah. I've been to Calabria times it's beautiful, beautiful that, area that's what i was going to ask you when were you there and your thoughts of being there well we've been uh, uh, my first trip to italy was with my wife and two friends from philadelphia we were living in philadelphia at the time that was 1991 and i've i've been to italy probably 14 times mm. since then I'm well over i mean i know it's over 12 it might be 13 i don't know but it, it's a lot and, and a lot of it had to do with um not only visiting family, but it also had to do with uh, producing films that took me there and, and exploring the different regions, especially in Puglia, where all my family's from, and uh, Abruzzo, uh, which is a little bit north sure. of Puglia and Molise, the mountainous area of, uh, of uh, Abruzzo, L'Aquila, and Sulmona, and, and those are beautiful areas up there. And then uh, the last time I was there in 2018, I was in Calabria um, presenting a film and lecturing at the University of Calabria mm. in Cosenza. Yeah, Cosenza, yeah. sure, sure. Now, when you said that your grandfather came here in 1922, the first thing I thought about, a couple things, and mm. it's kind of the same story. My grandfather came here, and I, he was 15 years old, and he came here with uh, $15, Okay. The Andretti mm. family, the famous race car family, when they came here, they came here with $125. But can nah, you imagine? Yeah. And then, of course, in The Godfather, the kid, the kid comes over by himself. And that was a, that represented a lot of Italians back then who came here by themselves with not much. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't speak the language and so on and so forth. And But if they didn't come over here and did what they did, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. A lot of people wouldn't be doing what they're doing. And the old Italian saying, if you ever see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know, he didn't get there alone. If it wasn't for them, you know, that's why it's so good that you made a documentary. It's so good that we have shows like this. It's so good that we talk yeah. about this and remember mm -hmm. them. Your thoughts on that comment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, remember them and honor them exactly. and respect them. On the flip side of the coin, my mother's uh, father, my grandfather, Celestorino Anguilano, you know, you have to understand that this southern Italy was very poor and very uneducated. Uh, my grand, my grandfather Celestino was so illiterate he could not even read or write Italian. Mm. That's how illiterate he was. But he could draw, okay, and whatever he wanted. I mean, he would sign a signature with an X, okay. But uh, whatever he wanted, when we'd go to the West Side Market, uh, grocery shopping, he would draw what they needed as a grocery list. And, and he was a very good um, draftsman as, as a result. Uh, but, you know, so he, he compensated for his, his illiteracy by, um, by, by doing that. So, you know, yeah, they had a, 
they had a tough way to go. They, had, they definitely had a tough way to go. Yeah, you have to understand that. I believe from nine, uh, after the um, unification of Italy in 1861, I believe, mm-hmm. um, between that and the, the rise of Mussolini, there were a couple of generations of Italians in southern Italy that were uh, turned down uh, uh, to to be educated because it was a, a way of the northern Italians to suppress those in the south. That's right. So education even was hard to come by. It wasn't like you automatically went to school and, you know, uh, uh, enjoyed all the um, uh, opportunities and took advantage of all the opportunities in school. There was a, a generation or two, and I believe my grandfather Celestrino was part of that, where, you know, school was not part of the part of the lifestyle. You know, you go out in the, you go out in the onion fields and pick onions. You know, that's what you did. You know what, though? You, you said lack of education, and I understand what you mean, but you just said your grandfather – uh, drew pictures he could draw. My yeah. grandfather uh, could not, you know, he wasn't educated either, and I put that in quotes, but, and I forgot what they call it, it's on the tip of my tongue. He knew how to take a branch from a lemon tree and connect it to an apple tree. Okay, I well, forgot. Yeah, grafting. grafting. Grafting, there you go, thank you. That's been yeah. bothering me for months. <laughs> thank you for, for saying that, grafting. Yeah. And then my other mm-hmm. grandfather, my mo- my mom's dad, uh, he was a shoemaker, and I'm telling you, he used to send us shoes when I was a little kid, and you would swear that they bought it from Tom McCann's. The only bad part, Michael, is he sent them, in, we call them Upaku, where they, we used to send them corduroy pants and, and aqua velvet and razors. They would send us cheese and, and clothes, mm-hmm. but, but the shoes smelled like cheese. So I couldn't wear them. <laughs> but, so I understand what you're saying about, about education, and I respect all of that, but those people they were educated in a different way so i still say they were educated because there's people with phds who couldn't graft you know oh yeah and and uh so you got to respect them and and one more thing back to you we we talked about earlier about people coming over here at age 15 no knock on people but i know some kids who are 15 16 they have a heck of a time going from here to baltimore they don't want to go. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And these, yeah. and they're coming back home. Those guys left their own hometown, their country, their families to come here and start anew. And you got to give them a ton of credit. Oh, absolutely. 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 What, uh, you know, what, uh, what fears went through their heads, you know? Exactly. And what, uh, what anxieties, uh, you know, being, well, as a matter of fact, Nuncio, my grandfather's brother, uh, Michele, uh, also came over with him and the great aunts. And when Michele came to America, uh, to New York, before they came to Ohio, I said to his brother Nunzio, I hate New York, I hate America. And he, he uh, went on and uh, built a life in um, Buenos Aires, Argentina. Mm, and so I've got a, a gazillion cousin Delaros in, in, in Argentina, uh, you know, as a result of that. So, yeah, crazy, crazy how daring uh, and how... Uh, how um, adventurous that had to be for them. Sure. Yeah. Mike, Mike, I was going to say, I had a, I had a, um, I guess it would be a great uncle. He went to South America and then he returned back to Italy. Didn't like it to your mm-hmm. point. So it's not like everyone, you know, everyone thinks you get on the boat, you come to the promised land and everything's peachy keen and they're never going to leave again. Ah, first of all, we've talked about this before, Claudia, not everybody was allowed to come in and not everybody stayed. Now the, the vast majority did, but, um, it, at some point, you just kind of set your roots down. Maybe you get married, you have some kids, like, well, you're here. 
So, you know, it's yeah. not like people were just like, I can't wait to leave my homeland to go somewhere. It's I've got to leave my homeland to go somewhere else. And uh, mm-hmm. again, they're, they're, they're doing that now. You know, we've got people flooding into this country now. It's not going to change. But uh, and in the same vein, you know, I was watching some recent interviews on the news and some of the people that are here now going, this isn't what I expected. It's like, yeah, when you're overseas, you know, you could kind of two very different descriptions of America. One is it's everything's perfect. It's heaven. It's a utopia. And the other one is we're all killing each other with automatic weapons every day. The truth truth is in the middle. You know, there's good parts. There's bad parts of everywhere you go, every country that you go to, you will have good and bad. I just think here you have a little bit more opportunity than you do in most other countries. Um, but that's, yeah, that's my yeah. opinion. Well, you know, I mean, you got you got you know, there's been enough written about the whole idea that it wasn't until the turn of the, um, uh, you know, the 19th, the, you know, the 20th century that Italians were even considered white. You know, they, they were they were considered people of color, and obviously that had you know that had issues with you know people that you know have issues with people of color. You know that that was a big deal, and especially people you know of you know of dark color like from Sicily and, and Calabria and all that. I mean, there were there was a lot of uh, prejudice against that, and um, uh, you know there there have been a, a you know a lot written about that transition of being accepted in the white community. You know, and that didn't happen until the 1950s, really. Right. From that, yeah. Well, not, so not to that point. But they, they were even lynched again. People forget they were even lynched in the late 1800s. Oh, yeah. In fact, one of the largest yeah, yeah. public lynchings in this country was actually 11 Italians, and I think it was was it Louisiana. But yeah, that, I, I covered that in Prisoners Among Us. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but yeah, yeah. 11, but there, yeah, there, there were I think 11 or 13 people lynched. Uh, and um, and and they you know were from um, an area of Louisiana or um, New Orleans called Little Palermo, and they, yeah they they were lynched uh, wrongfully for you know a crime you know they didn't really commit. That's right. Yeah. Now I'm going to kind of uh, pivot into something before the you know we talked we got on the air a little bit ago. You mentioned that you were doing some work with the Anti Defamation League. Let's talk about that work, and can you give you some uh, kind of some insight into some of the issues that you were kind of addressing? Well, I, I, let's back up. It, it wasn't the league. I, I was, I was uh, on some committees with the National Italian American Foundation. Oh, okay. And they had anti-defamation yeah. committees and things like that, and I was very active in that and some of the, the issues of, of um, job opportunity, the, the, the issues of um, non-inclusiveness in, like, social – issues or, or uh, um, uh, political uh, jobs, political uh, offerings, political, you know, what might be offered that way, you know, just, uh, you know, ed- lack of education opportunities for, um, you know, young Italian people, you know, young Italian Americans and things like that. You know, those are some of the issues we we, uh, we dealt with. Yeah. Now, how how yeah. long how long ago are we talking? And I'm curious, do you still see these as issues? Because there's there's definitely stereotypes of Italian Americans, mm-hmm. and they are still. It's like it's one of the few groups that you're allowed to make fun of as much as you want. Well, yeah. Look at yeah. I mean, uh, most recently, um, uh, television programs like Jersey Shore. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know, really. I mean, you know, you you, you got every you know goomba and uh, you know the, all the machismo of the stereotypical Italian um, you know uh, man and uh, South the New Jersey sort of uh, you know cabo ghoul kind of thing and 
mispronouncing of of, uh, of uh, words and things like that uh, that uh, you know really kind of uh, make fun of not to take Italian American culture seriously. Uh, and I, I think that's that's a shame that programs like that uh, you know still exist. And, and you know the problem is is because the I don't care what anybody tells me the Italian American community is not united. If there's 30 million, 20, let's say 20 million Italians, I've heard 30 million, 32, 20 something. Okay, let's just say there's only 20 million people that claim to be some kind of Italian American heritage. Let's say at least half, at least half. If they were united, this wouldn't happen. But the fact of the matter is it's so fractured and you've got so many competing organizations out there that you, you cannot address the problem. But it seems like other groups, you know, you even... You know, you even look wrong or, you, you know, you don't have enough of this or that in a, in a, in a commercial, you know, and, and there's, you know, moral outrage. But to your point, I can have shows, I can have characters, I can have, uh, there, there was a, um, what's the commercial, was it, um, for the subs, where the guy that wasn't Everybody Love Raymond, he plays kind of like the, the, the mob-like guy, you know. Oh, yeah. and, and it's like, oh. can you do that with any other any other group anymore? No. But you can do it with no. Italians, and there's no outrage. Right. So when 20 million no. people get together and say, you know what, enough, it'll stop. But if they stay fractured, it's kind of like, well, don't complain. Because you have, you have an opportunity right. to vote with both, you know, at the election booth and vote with your wallet. Don't support these groups. Right. Don't support these organizations. But two things that I still I still have never heard, Michael. Maybe you have. I've never heard an Italian say, forget about it. I've ne- exactly. I don't know how the hell we got stuck yeah. with that. No. And yeah. then my dad used to yeah. get upset whenever they used to say, Italians speak with their hands. Everybody does. Ex- who doesn't? Who doesn't? Yeah. Right. But, Absolutely. But one thing I want to ask you, yeah. many things we want to ask you before we get to your documentary. Okay. Who and how was the Italian culture and the pride ingrained in you as a kid to where it is now? I know for me, it was obviously my parents. Uh, it was a, my dad would watch a show, and I've said this numerous times. There's an Italian director, Italian producer, and not just the athletes, the Marcianos, the Maggios, and all that, or the Sinatras, mm-hmm. Dean Martin. It was the ones behind the scenes. Look, that guy did this. And it's never anti, ever, 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 for a quarter of a second. Anti, it's always pro, which is what it, you know people should never be anti anything. But mm-hmm. um, how was it ingrained in your life as a child? Well, you know, there was, there was, there was a sense of pride. I mean, you know, even... There are a lot of people, you know, generations before me, like my father and grandparents. There, there, you know, took pride in. I remember growing up in the uh, in the late fifties, and uh, there was a show called The Untouchables. Yeah. Okay. And uh, my father and my uncles refer that refer to that show as the Dago Hour. Okay. <laughs> and they they enjoyed it. You know, it was like a, a sense of pride. You know, Frank Beatty and you know Al Capone and all. You know, it's like it was a, a weird sense of pride um, that um, these um, mobsters uh, prevailed, you know, and uh, got away with stuff. And, you know, so, I mean, there, there's a, like flip side of the coin too. You know, there's like, yeah, that was bad, but there was like a weird sense of um, pride in many Italian Americans, you know, that did, did not go unnoticed. Uh, and and non Italians like that group. Just as much, if not more, than we did. Well, it's about sticking it to the man, ultimately, right? I mean, and, and the man yeah. certainly wasn't Italian Americans in charge. So. It was the Joe Hales of the. Uh, no, yeah. I'm kidding. We love Joe. Joe's the best, and you you know Joe, so you know he's the best. 
We're going to take yeah, a yeah. quick break to talk about our other show, Talking Business and Life with Claudia Rosson and Steve Mancini. You can check that out on crsmmedia.com. And also, if you're interested in, in hosting your own podcast, connect with us and we can certainly uh, help you out under the umbrella of Empire Media cool. Ventures. Also, don't forget about, again, italianimpactweekly.com. Uh, if you don't hear us live on Thursdays at 5 p.m., on 620 AM, 102.1 FM. You can always go to archives and listen to our shows. We've had some great guests, Vince Ferragamo, Mario Andretti, and many, many others. Again, go to italianimpactweekly.com. If you have any questions or comments, go to questions at italianimpactweekly.com. Steve, I did that right this week. Uh, also, listen to my show, Claudio Relsano show, where I've had Many great guests on, such as Dick Vermeil, Vince Papali, Ken Griffey Sr., Rocky Blyer, Roman Gabriel, Jerry Cooney, many, many others. Listen to that show on ClaudioRelsano.com. The Boxing Authority's Boxing's Best TV Show with Luther Dupree Jr., Smoking Jim Fraser. Check us out at wbc.vivtv.network. There may be a change in that. Uh, I'll update you. Don't forget about my book, Lead from the Heart Up, Not the Neck Up, How to Create a Positive Winning Culture on the Field in the Office. You can get that at Barnes & Noble and Robinson. And uh, just get it on my website as well. And if you are looking to have commercial spots, be a sponsor. There's many shows that we can help you out with that we do. So, uh, again, hit us up at questions at italianimpactweekly.com. We'll be right back with our great guest, Michael Delaro. Thanks to Greater Pittsburgh Travel. For any of your travel needs, let Tom and the team at Greater Pittsburgh Travel know and they'll take care of you. For more information, call 412-331-2244 or visit their website at www.greaterpittsburghtravel.com. For all of your plumbing needs, be sure to try Pellucci Plumbing. Nick and the team have decades of experience and will get you back up and running. For more information, call Pellucci Plumbing at 412-782-5050. And we want to thank the Calabria Club of Pittsburgh, if you're interested in learning more, you can find their contact information on Facebook at Calabria Club of Pittsburgh. Again, thanks, Domenica and the team at the Calabria Club of Pittsburgh for your support. And we want to thank La Scuola d'Italia Galileo Galilei, the only nonprofit school in Pittsburgh endorsed by the Italian consulate. If you're interested in learning Italian or have your children being immersed in the Italian culture and language, be sure to give them a call at 412-404-7070. And that's La Scuola d'Italia Galileo Galilei. All right. Welcome back, Michael. <laughs> we're pointing and at each other. That's right. We were, we were, well, you, no, you, we're too nice is the problem. So we out nice each other. But uh, again, I want to welcome uh, all of you back to the uh, show. Again, Michael, appreciate you joining us. And for those that are just tuning in, we have uh, Michael DeLaro. He is the former director of the Academic Media Center here at Robert Morris University. He's also a former associate professor here at Robert Morris University. Years of experience, both teaching film, creating documentaries. He is an award-winning producer and director. And Michael, we kind of want to jump in now into your film career because uh, you're not done and you've done some very good work. And let's talk about some of these, uh, kind of what I'm going to call your okay. more major projects. So let's start with La Mia Strada, My Street. Um, I read that the inspiration was obviously your search for your relatives. Let's talk about it. Tell me about, you know, am I right? Was that the inspiration? And then kind of lay out how did well, that whole thing fall into place? Uh, every, you know, I, I think as an artist, I don't, whether you're a filmmaker or a writer or a, a poet or, you know, whatever, um, it all has to come, you know, you, you have to be grounded in what you're, you're trying to express. You have to kind of know and and um understand um you know why you're why you're doing it 
And um, all of, you know, many of my personal films, including La Mi Estrada, um, are based on um, uh, my own personal experiences. That, that film really um, started um, uh, a story from my grandmother, Philomena Anguilano, told me a, a, a story about um, her being a young woman, uh, like 17, 18 years old, in Oscoli Satriano in Guglia, uh, in the uh, picking Lampasconi, which is a, a bitter onion. And my, my great-grandmother, Delaro, was her boss in the fields. And my grandmother told me a story that one day they were picking uh, Lampasconi in the fields, and my great-grandmother says to Philomena, my grandmother, Philomena, I hear bagpipes. It must be the shepherds from Abruzzo. Go up on the mountain and give them the eye. Go flirt with those shepherds so we can get some free cheese. I'm going, wow, that's a pretty good story, you know? So my wife and I, who is my wife is, is also a film producer, we were in Italy doing a, a study abroad. This is before Robert Morris. This is like in 2004. Uh, we were in Italy doing a study abroad video for John Carroll University here in Cleveland, Italian study abroad. And uh, our, our, um, our uh, liaison from John Carroll took us to Abruzzo, and uh, it was a, a summer evening a beautiful summer evening, midnight, at an archaeological site, and there's a music concert. And all the musicians, the musicians, the, the name of the group is called Discanto, and one of the musicians was playing a bagpipe. And I'm hearing this music, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is what my grandmother was talking about. So that was the jump start, and I said, I've got to explore this. And, I, you know, then from that I realized there were roads, traveled from Abruzzo to Puglia, and it was called the, um, the, uh, the Transumanza, which is the seasonal migration of sheep from winter, up, you know, winter in the south and in the summer up in the mountains of Abruzzo. So I followed one of those trails, and, um, and one of those trails ends up at the doorstep of the Paese, the hometown of my grandparents. And along that trail, I interviewed people. I interviewed poets. I interviewed uh, musicians, I interviewed historians, I interviewed common folk, all that, and um, I, many of the people I interviewed had relatives in America, and they talked about them, and I found many of those relatives in America, and then it be, then all of a sudden it became a kind of a dialogue between what is Italian and what is Italian-American, along with the whole, you know, transhumanza and, and the whole idea of the migration of sheep and shepherds and you know they were the, the shepherds were the um, messengers of news then the shepherds would tell hey there was an earthquake in Abruzzo to the people in Puglia uh, you know that happened two months ago you know this is like 500 years ago you know that you know, many 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 years ago so that was the impetus so you know like many other films that film was grounded in the story my grandmother told me and I just kind of jumped on it and said I've got to do something about this and explore all those opportunities. And little by little, I was able to cobble together that story with multiple uh, visits to Italy to, you know, uh, tell that story and interview people and discover, you know, um, other avenues, you know, whether historical or doing research in Italy or doing research in America. But, you know, that took about 10 years to do. But, you know, the story came out. 10 years to make this documentary? Ten years to make the documentary. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. Because I mean, that was 
that was self pretty much self-funded. And I mean, I got some small grants, but um, it took a long it took a long time. It wasn't uh, something you know. The, the opposite of that was my other major documentary was Prisoners Among Us, and that I did get lots of grants and lots of sponsorship for that. But uh, La Mia Strada was more more of a a, a self story. Uh, you know, I produced and it and it took off. You know, I've, I've shown it uh, to hundreds of. Um, uh, organizations and television stations and PBS and all that stuff. In fact, on October, on, on Columbus Day this year, I'm, I'm, I'm screening it at Oberlin University, the west side of, you know, of Cleveland. And uh, I'm showing it in Dayton, Ohio on October 5th. Uh, so, you know, it still has legs, you know, 10 years after I've done it, but uh, produced it. But uh, yeah. yeah, so, you know, that, that's kind of the joy of it, that people still say, wow. That's kind of a neat story. You know, I, I really enjoyed it, and, you know, um, uh, I, I want more, you know, whatever. But that's that's how that started, and that's, that's the story of Lamia Strada. Now, uh, before we do go to Prisoners Among Us, I want to ask you something, because you said that that one, some of the questions you asked were, what's the difference between an Italian and Italian-American? Are there any general themes that you said, this was distinctly Italian, this was distinctly Italian-American? Not, not necessarily. I mean, it, it wasn't like I twisted anybody anybody's arms to talk about that distinction it really came out um uh through the interviews you know people in abruzzo talking about um how when they came to america to visit relatives how big everything was you know big houses big cars and uh, one young man says and big persons uh, you know, as Amer- you know, so you know there, that that kind of contrast, and uh, and um, but it, it was really self-generated from those people that I interviewed. It wasn't like I said, "Tell us what you think the differences are." They they, they came out. They they came out. As a matter of fact, a lot of um, Italian Americans talked about it's easy to go back to Italy, but it's very hard. You don't see a lot of Italians coming to America to visit. It's usually the Italian Americans going back to Italy to visit their relatives and friends. Uh, Michael, before we go on to Prisoners Among Us, did you give family members uh, a copy of the, your 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 work of La Mia Strata? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that'd be great. I mean, obviously, you want everybody to see it, but you want your family uh, to see it. Now, did you, well, yeah, I mean, let me just, uh, uh, underline that as well. Um, not only, you know, did I get a, you know, a lot of help from, you know, Joe Hale and Ray and, you know, a lot of people at RMU, uh, when I many times, probably three or four times when I went back to Italy to shoot more footage and get more interviews, I brought along nephews and my sister and of course my wife and, and, and uh, a couple of friends with me to experience that, you know, so it wasn't just me. And as if you, if you've seen the movie there, you know, there are, there are a lot of um, on camera uh, comments by my nephews and, and my wife and my sister, Angela, mm-hmm. uh, talking about that experience, meeting cousins for the first time. And then as a result being and to this day, being lifelong uh, connections. Good, good. Steve. All right, let's yeah. kind of uh, now. The, now, big one is Prisoners Among Us. Now, mm-hmm. pretty pretty powerful documentary. What was the um, what was the impetus for going down that road? Okay, another family story. 
back in 1994, I was at a family reunion, and my mother's sister, Angelina, uh, and I had a conversation. And she told me all about uh, an experience she had during World War II, um, living in an enclave, uh, you know, an Italian enclave in the Cleveland area, um, that my grandmother, Philomena, the young lady that gave, you know, that flirted with the shepherds, uh, you know, 30 years later, um, uh, my aunt, my grandmother, Philomena, got a letter from Italy saying they had a cousin in a prisoner of war camp in Camp Perry, Ohio, which is out near Sandusky. Okay. You know, wouldn't it be nice if you go visit this cousin? Well, it's 1943. My grandmother doesn't have a car and to get into, you know, what, what is now an hour and a half drive, it was probably a four hour drive back then. But, you know, so my grandmother told my mother, my, and my two aunts, you know, we're going to go visit this cousin who was a POW uh, at Camp Perry. And my mother and my Aunt Mary refused to go because they thought it was coddling the enemy. But my Aunt Angie decided to go. Uh, and um, they would go out there every so often when, when they could get a ride and um, have a picnic lunch with this cousin. And I'm sure all the other Italian you know, POWs as well. And um, um, one time when they came back to the... Uh, uh, Italian enclave in, in western uh, on the west side of Cleveland, someone had broken a number of my grandmother's windows. And it turned out that the non-Italians in that neighborhood broke the windows because they, they thought they were coddling the enemy. So I, my aunt told me the story and said, oh my God, you know, what a story. So from that, I not, not only found out that there were over 50,000 POWs at different labor camps in, in, in America during World War II, but, you know, I found out that, you know, there were 600,000 Italian aliens that never got citizenship that were labeled enemy aliens during World War II. Uh, censorship, confiscation of shortwave radios and cameras, um, uh, curfews, especially on the West Coast. Uh, you know, imposed upon uh, these um, uh, enemy aliens, 600,000 of them. And then, you know, the, the third cog in the uh, in, in this story was those Italian-Americans that served in the United States uh, in, the, in, the, in the armed services during World War II. They were the, uh, they were the, um, uh, how can I say, um, uh, Italian-Americans suffered the most casualties of any ethnic group during World War II. Yeah. Well, why was that? Because the Italian-Americans were the least educated. No different than the African-Americans in, in, in Vietnam. They were the least educated. So who, who were in the foxholes, the least educated? The Italian-Americans were. So they suffered the most, tra uh, most casualties of any ethnic group during World War II. And that they fought bravely. You know, uh, so, and then you also, you know, this whole dilemma of, you know, Italians becoming, you know, wanting to be becoming American so badly. Uh, but when the when the doors at Ellis Island closed in 1924, between 1924 and 1940, when the war broke, 41, when the war broke out, there weren't that many years for Italians to assimilate into the occult, in those new Italians to assimilate in the culture. 
So they were still living in the enclaves. They were still speaking language. You know, they uh, interviewed one woman that uh, lived on the west side of Cleveland, and if she would go downtown, she would say, I'm going to America today. You know, it's like, wow, okay. You know, that kind of thing like that. So it was a scary time uh, for uh, assimilation of Italians in America just prior to the war. And, of course, there was the affinity, affinity, that's the wrong word, I'm trying to say, uh, to, to Mussolini. Uh, you know, there, there, there are a lot of Italians that, you know, held true that Mussolini was a great guy. Mussolini, you know, did so much for Italy and all that stuff. But as we all know, you know, he was, uh, you know, he was not, not, not the uh, Santa Claus that everybody thought he was going to be. And, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of Italians held true to uh, those um, uh, uh, philosophies and, and all that, uh, that Mussolini subscribed to. Right. But you know what the problem is that dictators like that are made in poverty. So when you've got half the country living in poverty, it's easy to understand mm -hmm. why somebody comes along and says, I'm going to make things better. You know, to your, to your yeah. point, the Italians, or I'm sorry, the Japanese were treated, everybody knows that they were treated awful. They had their homes taken, yeah. they were thrown into camps here in America. Yeah. Um, Italians yeah. are treated pretty badly. I'm curious, uh, during your research, did you see if there was any difference in the way German immigrants were treated during the war? Same thing. I mean, um, you know, keep in mind there were, there were, you know, many, many more Japanese uh, Americans, you know, interned during World War II, but there were German and Italians um, interned during World War II as well. Not nearly the amount of numbers. Uh, I think uh, uh, Italians are like, uh, you know, a few hundred, and Germans uh, a few hundred more than that. And, of course, the Japanese, you know, far more than that. But all three groups were interned. All three groups were um uh, so, you know, succumb to, uh, you know, horrible lifestyles and property taken away and never, you know, rep, you know, uh, reparations, yeah. reparations yeah. or anything like that for that. So, yeah, I mean, it's the same story, only the numbers were less. No, and, but, I, um, but we seem to very quickly willing to erase that little segment, but we're willing to go back in time further to focus on our errors. You know, and, you, and, you know, one of the things we talked about before, you know, we, we talked about the lynching and uh, was it Louisiana. And I think you, yeah. you mentioned this in the documentary, correct? Was it, and this was kind of your oh, yeah. your point the, being that this the was the, right. This is the discrimination they'd been facing for decades. People think that, like, to your point, Italians were not considered white till later on, which means they mm -hmm. were treated like non-whites for, for right. decades and decades and decades. And that was not well. I'm well, sorry. just your, your thoughts, because you, like I said, you, you do bring up the idea that, you know, there was, there was lynchings and that kind of mistrust, yeah. distrust had been going on for decades prior. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the film underli underlines all that and, and drills, you know, uh, uh, fairly deep in, into that um, mistrust and, and um, um, uh, uh, media uh, representation of Italians as um, kind of you know cartoon characters, uh, you know you know big mustache, the Mario type, right. you know cartoon character stuff like that. So uh, it, it still sort of you know goes on on today on, on, on a different <coughs> level. But back back at the turn of the century, it was it was um, it was prevalent and um, uh, suppressed suppressing for a lot of 
Italian Americans to break through, to try to assimilate, to try to dispel, to try to my my grand my parents, um, you know, second generation here um, would not speak Italian, would not teach us us kids Italian because they wanted to become American so badly uh, that to speak Italian was you know holding them back, you know, and you know, and, and so you know being embarrassed of their their parents who spoke Italian because they were the immigrants that came here um, was was a big deal. You know, was a was a something that uh, they had to carry with them and try to uh, you know keep it to a Sunday dinner. You, you know what I mean? The, the, the weekly Sunday dinner, uh, but you know during the week, uh, you know there was very little reference to that. And as you know, 1950s when in, I'm sure in many cities, uh, the mass migration to the suburbs happened in Pittsburgh and Cleveland and St. Louis and all that stuff. And once they moved to the suburbs, those Sunday dinners became less and less frequent. Yeah, I know. It's funny you say that because one of the things we have, you know, we ask a lot of guests and especially some of our older guests, oh, you know, what do you remember? What was your, what was your traditions? And they always have the Sunday dinner. Now, again, <laughs> Italians are not the only people that eat dinner on Sunday. We, we've talked about right, this, right. but there was, right. but there was something to your point because it was one of the few times, especially when you go back decades and decades and decades ago, it was one of the few times where you could go and you could relax because you're right. You go back two, two, three generations and they didn't learn the culture. They didn't learn the language. Whatever they learned no. was just second hand. You know, they, they cook this way, so I learned to cook that way. I'm not intentionally mm -hmm. teaching you something. It's just the way I cook, so now my kids learn that. But you're right. Mm -hmm. when they, once they moved to the suburbs, now you're further dispersed. You already were, in a sense, deprived knowledge of your culture because of the discrimination was going against your grandparents and your great-grandparents. And they said, ah, let's, let's kind of put that under the bed. We don't want to advertise it too much. No, so. no, we, we, we want to, you know, uh, you know, moving out to the suburbs and eating Wonder Bread right. instead of Italian bread, um, that was a big deal. You know, all of a sudden we became American because we're, <laughs> we're eating Wonder Bread. Huh? <laughs> That's <Yeah>. all it took. <laughs> Damn yeah. you, Wonder yeah, Bread. <laughs> Mike, which of your documentaries made you the most emotional or affected you the most? Um. Probably La Mia Strada because it's so so much more personal. Okay. You know, uh, I, I would think because, you know, it was a journey for me to find relatives and to connect with relatives. And those relatives, as um, as uh, Joe uh, remembers, um, my um, as a result of the movie, um, connecting with my cousin Marta, who spent a couple months with us in the Pittsburgh area while I was at Robert Morris University. And... Uh, engaging her in American culture. I mean, she came over, she's a young woman who wanted to, you know, hone in on her um, English skills. Uh, but, um, you know, that was a big deal, you know, and, and, uh, and um, the, the musical group that we heard at the archaeological site, Descanto, again, Joe was involved with uh, some of their concerts here in America. I was directly involved in bringing them along with other people to many, many cities, including Pittsburgh and uh, other other cities to bring that group to America to introduce them to um, Italian folk music. And the funny thing about it was, you know, many people, you know, loved it, you know, with the, with the uh, songs of strife, the s songs of being in the fields and the call response 
type songs um, and the bagpipes and all that stuff. And many people really embraced that, that um, uh, you know, their music. But there were some people that said, you know, I thought we were going to go to the concert and hear O Solo Mio, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, Dean Martin songs and all that stuff. And you know, they were kind of taken aback. And, and, and keep in mind, they were singing in Abruzzese dialect, okay? So it's not, you know, it's old, old language. It isn't current, you know, Italian um, uh, language. So there was, you know, a disconnect with the dialect as well. Uh, but you know, for the most part, it, it was, so yes, I, I would say La Mia Strada, um, you know, certainly you know, hit home for me because uh, it was my journey to discover family that I'm still connected with uh, on, a, on a weekly basis, you know, with emails and FaceTime and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, but for a national, but on a national level, obviously, Chris is among us because it's such a, it's such a, it's such a, a big story. It's such a big story and it's well-researched, well-funded, and um, it's been shown all over. And in, in 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 I was lucky and fortunate to have a lot of uh, accolades associated with that and, and of course, Lenny Estrada. Real quick, because we don't have a whole lot of time, I'm, I'm curious. Oh. Favorite singers, yeah. favorite athletes, favorite businessman, who stands out in your mind? Favorite? Are you talking about Italian? Yes. Okay. I would hope they're Italian. <laughs> We've been here for an hour. Michael. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just thinking, okay. Hey, real quick, real quick. We had a lady on one time, the first question. So tell us about your Italian background. She okay. said, okay. She, she said, uh, my dad didn't like being Italian. There goes the rest of the show. But, but go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, let me just say, in, in my hallway, outside my office in our house, I've got a, I got a big poster of Rocky Marciano. There you go. Okay. You have to have Rocky. <laughs> Me too. Good. Who else? 40, 49 and 0. Yes, sir. Can't beat it, okay. Yes, sir. I don't care what you say. You know. So, um, yeah. I mean, I, I uh, you know, as far that's a, that's a sports figure. I was um, a, a, when I was growing up, I was a big fan of. Uh, you're not going to probably even know this guy, but he played for Navy and he he played for a couple of years in the pros. Um, uh, Joe Bellino. Of he course. Was a trophy winner, of course. 1960. Yeah. Well. He had huge, he had huge calves. Okay, yeah. I didn't and know that. When I was a kid, I wanted to have calves like Joe Bellino, so I'd work my legs till they fell off, so I could have legs like Joe Bellino. Uh, and then, you know, growing up in Cleveland, my hero was Rocky Colavito. Sure, you know? sure. He was like, he was my guy. You know, from Western Pennsylvania as well. But uh, you know, and as far as singers and stuff like that. Uh, not much into Frank Sinatra. Uh, I, I, uh, more, more probably towards Tony Bennett, okay. Perry Como, mm-hmm. right. those guys. But more of a contemporary. Uh, uh, Bocelli. I, I just love the death. Is uh, no uh, Eros Ramazzotti. Yeah. Okay. I, I just love him. And, and who's your favorite college baseball coach, pro baseball scout, podcast, radio guy? It's got to be me, right? It is. It's, it's okay. Stephen Claudio, I think. <laughs> you got it. All right, Michael. Last question. Um, what do sure. you got? Uh, what are you working on right now? What's coming down the pipe? Um, I'm, I'm not working on any video projects right now. I, uh, uh, last year, I finished a, a little documentary called "Pandemic Frame of Mind" that I did with my wife, and it's a little, a little photo video essay on 
what, what we did to uh, uh, do a, stay afloat during the pandemic, okay? Um, I did mention um, uh, what's coming up. I've, I've got a couple screenings coming up, uh, one in Dayton, one at, uh, one at uh, Overland University, and, um, uh, you know, showing La Mia Strada. And um, I, I've been doing some writing and some newspaper articles uh, on, um, uh, you know, for, for our, our local papers on, on uh, Italian-American culture and things like that. But I'm um, not making any documentaries right now, but if, if there's some in the offing. Um, there's a, a little documentary that I'd like to do, and it, 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 but I, I've got to wait for, you know, funding and all that stuff. It's all about the Guardian um, Bridge in Cleveland. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yep. The Cleveland Guardians now were the Cleveland Indians, and there were Italian stonemakers that made it. And um, uh, I, I think that would make for an interesting documentary, but much smaller scale. You know, the days of um, trying to raise, you know, three or $400,000 to make a, a movie, you know, that's a lot of work. And I'd rather make, you know, something small, 10, 15 minute little thing uh, that is, um, you know, more doable and, uh, and um, uh, you know, fits in my, my um, interest in time uh, slot, uh, you know, for, to make make the make that kind of commitment. All right, Michael. Listen again. I want to thank you very much for your time. Um, I know you got. I know you say you're retired, but I have a sneaky suspicion you're pretty busy. Um, real quick, if yeah, folks want to follow your uh, work, where can they go? Uh, just go to my YouTube channel, Michael DeLauro, and I've got all my films on on there, um, from making uh, making sausage to. Uh, uh, the, the Feast of the Seven Fishes to the bigger ones like La Mia Strada and Prisoners Among Us and, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Awesome. Again, Michael, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, us. Mike. We appreciate it. Oh, we'll be in it touch. Was big fun. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, send me that information about yep. people. Can, I'll, I'll get to you, that. Michael, for sure. All right, buddy. We're going to okay. talk soon again. Thank, thank you, you very, so much. very much. Take care. Okay. All right. For our okay. folks who are just, uh, you know, listening, uh, we appreciate you spending your time with us. And, uh, Claudio, as always, I'd love to give you the last word. As always, we appreciate all of you listening. We really do. And thank you, Mom and Pop. Talk to you guys soon.